Amen. Right, so we're continuing Matthew chapter 10. Um, and just a quick recap in, in verses 1 to 23, which we did last week. We saw Jesus sending out the 12 disciples to preach the gospel, confirming the word with miracles. And, and we saw that the four most prominent of the disciples, the, the inner circle, you could almost say, couldn't you, were all fishermen who all become fishers of men, don't they? And I think for me, there's a reason there. But that we also saw that going first, remember it was first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, was to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. The Gentiles weren't a plan B. Um, and, and how they were then told to freely give, because we're not to charge people to hear the gospel, are we, or, or the word of God at all. Um, we, we, we never charge in this church. We're never going to have sort of a price list up there and things like that. It's amazing, isn't it, how many so-called Bible-believing churches will do that. A brother was telling me about a church that we used to go to who was, who was trying to charge for, to, to take a hymn book, you know, and it's like, come on, you know, if you don't want him to take one, don't take one. Let's not charge for it. But people, you know, claim to believe the Bible. But um, we, we, saw, we saw how they were told, obviously, to freely give. But on the flip side, we don't have to be too holy to accept generosity when offered it, for the workman is worthy of his meat. We looked at how that applies to pastors, other church workers. And then we, we also looked at moving on quickly when people reject the word and how we're sent out in the midst of wolves and, and how we should therefore be wise and blameless, you know, wise as serpents, harmless as doves when we're out preaching the gospel out, doing the things of God. And then finally, we looked at verses 17 to 22 and how they, they were basically almost identical to Mark 13, 9 to 13, the famous Olivet Discourse, known obviously famously, especially in Matthew 24, because we're, we're promised tribulation in this life, aren't we? And from 2,000 years ago until the great tribulation, Jesus Christ's return, men and women of God preaching the gospel, uh, the, that's the point, men and, men and women of God preaching the gospel have and will always suffer persecution even from those closest to them. But then we saw our verse 23 really stands out, Matthew 10, 23, where you are, says, but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another, for verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. So there, for me, there will always be places to flee to, which is why in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, there is such an emphasis on fleeing once the abomination of desolation is set up. It's not just so you can play a bit of futile kind of cat and mouse for a bit of a laugh before eventually getting decapitated. It's because there is actually some point to fleeing, isn't there? It's because he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And obviously that's got nothing to do with spiritual salvation as the context of the passage is very clear. So we're going to continue with verse 24 now, which reads... The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. I'd also like to pray before we continue. So, Father, thank you uh, for, for this great chapter of the Bible, a chapter which is misused so often and, and by many false prophets, many works salvationists. Help me to just preach it clearly and accurately and boldly now, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Help those to just, just have attentive ears now and keep the distractions to a minimum, please, Lord, and just help us to, to all be edified by your word. In Jesus' name, pray all of this. Amen. Okay, so there, there are some great truths in this verse alone, this verse 24 here. The context here is that we will be hated. 
slandered, persecuted as Christ was. That's the context because verse 25 says, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So they called Jesus Beelzebub or the devil. Why do we expect any better? And sadly, many people do expect better, don't they? Many Christians expect that they're not going to have to go through anything at all like Jesus Christ went through. If only the weak liberal Christian could understand this truth alone. If only they could. Instead, many spend their lives trying to appeal to the God-hater, don't they? Spend their life trying to somehow avoid any which way they can the persecution that should and does come with being a Christian. Many, many instead want to try and try their best to become popular with the world, don't they? So many so-called Christians are trying to be popular with the world, trying to be trendy in one way or another, trying to show the world that they're not, you know, that they don't, you know, they don't have to hate them, that, that actually they do think like them. It's just, just that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but otherwise they're exactly the same. Some of them will try and change the word, not to offend, won't they? They'll go that far as to actually change the Bible, to, to, to pick and choose the translation which is least offensive. I was at a, a church when I was first saved, a so-called Bible-believing evangelical church, where the new pastor there was at slight odds, but, but very polite odds with the old pastor there, because the new pastor believed the, uh, the newer, and he preferred the newer NIV, Whereas the old pastor preferred the 1980 whatever version, a newer pastor preferred the newer one because, because it wasn't, uh, sorry, it was more, uh, what's the word, gender neutral. So because the newer, the newer NIV wouldn't be quite as offensive to maybe if someone came in with feminist leanings and, and you know, took away the sort of male dominance of the Bible, basically, and, uh, and, and, you know, all of that sort of nonsense. I can't even bother to go in any further. But, but people will do that, won't they? People will even change the Word of God to try and fit in and will pick a translation. I mean, where'd you get off? Pick a translation. Yeah, so much for the Word of God being preserved. For every Word of God being preserved, just pick a translation that will, will, will appease the world. So his argument was, well, then if someone came in, they wouldn't then walk away from the church because they're offended by it talking about, you know, male this and he that. And Amazing, isn't it? But that's what people do. That's people that claim to be believers, claim to believe in the Word of God. Verse 24 said, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. So... They think that basically, people like that think that they're somehow better than Jesus, really. They, in their mind, he was too offensive, but they know better. So he offended the world, but if they do it their way, they might be able to do it without offending the world. I mean, it's madness, really, isn't it? He was too direct, really, wasn't he, Jesus, when he told the work salvationists that they're going to hell? He was too direct. Oh, well, we'll try and do it without offending. Well, if you could, you know, when you're preaching, just be careful not to offend everyone else. You know, oh, well, well you, don't have to, you don't have to be so one way is the only way, do you? You know, we as Christians, we don't want to offend. What, are you better than Jesus? Is that, that's what they believe, don't they? They think that they somehow have a better way than the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice here in verse 25, the emphasis on his real followers being disciples and servants and him being the master of the Lord. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about salvation here, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, this is talking, this is talking about 
something separate to salvation. Okay, what is salvation? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Okay, but being a disciple, being a servant of the Lord, yeah, making him your Lord, making him your master. No, you don't have to do that to get saved, by the way, because people love to take that little Romans 10.9, use a little NIV translation here, a little false translation there, if you make him Lord of your life. But that's not what it says, does it? It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, not if you declare Jesus is Lord. And that's a subtle but a big difference, isn't it? And that could affect a whole salvation doctrine, isn't it? Which is why you've got so many of these people going, you've got to make him Lord of your life. Well, what exactly does that mean? How do you make him Lord of your life? Have I made him Lord of my life today? Well, what, did I make him Lord of my life this morning when I sinned in this way? Well, you can see how, how ridiculous that is, right? Well, okay, that's not what we're talking about here. But what we're talking about is that if you continue in his word and, and continuing in his word is not just the fluffy lovey-dovey bits is it that's not just the bits that you like the bits that maybe you, you you know your church agree with not the other bits now if you continue in his word that's his whole word if you really want to serve him well and by the way there is no serving the lord like soul winning is there okay that's really serving the lord soul winning that's what it's all about really that's the first that's the first part really uh, now don't get me wrong if you're someone and you're sitting here going well i come to church I'm, you know i've tried I, I, at least you know i'm trying to learn how to soul winning look for me you're, you're on the road you're on a good road there okay and i'm not trying to knock anyone like that and if you've maybe never preached the gospel but you'd like to and you're trying to maybe you started coming out as a silent partner whatever it is great yeah amen brilliant Okay, for me, yeah, you, you are a disciple, okay? You're on that road, but, but the road has to have along, along it, it's going to be preaching the gospel, isn't it? Okay, that's what it's all about. And that, that's not well in 10 years' time. Look, you should be actively trying to make an effort to get people saved. And whether that's being a silent partner for 10 years, great. Okay, but that's, that's part of it, isn't it? Part of it is preaching the gospel. Now, if you continue in his word, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Continuing in his word as it includes going and preaching the gospel. But you're not going to be better at avoiding the persecution than Jesus was then, are you? Okay, if you are, if you're, if you're making him your Lord, yeah, you're making him your master, you're being a servant, you're being a disciple, all the words that we see repeated, you know, in a couple of different places here, then look, you're going to get persecuted and you're not going to be better at avoiding it than Jesus Christ was, are you? says here the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his lord turn to john chapter 15 because it's not just when it comes to avoiding persecutions that christians think that they can correct where jesus failed and there are christians out there that think that they can correct jesus on this that somehow you know they can do things better they're going to find a way to not get you know that that maybe you know maybe if they go out and they just kind of just just give them something written down just give them a tract, that, that'll do it. Well, no, we need to follow what Jesus Christ said. Where are you? In John, John chapter 15, was it? John chapter, John chapter 15, from verse 19, it says here, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chose you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, that's just a fact of life. As a disciple, as a servant of God, the world hates you. Okay, now he's talking to his disciples here, but I hope everyone here considers himself a disciple as well. It's not all doom and gloom because Jesus loves you and that's what counts, isn't it? I hope no one here is just really seeking that love of the world because you're going to be disappointed if you're going to serve the Lord. Verse 20 says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. 
If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So, yes, as a servant, you will get persecution. But the end of the verse here, for me, is interesting. Now, it could be in the smaller context of persecution, usually our words against us, but it could also be in contrast to the persecution. The passage here is Jesus in, in John 15, commanding the disciples to bring forth fruit, to bear witness of him. He says as well, we do that by preaching the word of God, don't we? You don't have to turn there. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's all about the word of God, isn't it? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, if we do that, then those that would hear Jesus will keep our saying too, won't they? That's the saying. That's what we're going forth and preaching the word of God. That's what we should be doing if we're doing what Jesus tells us to do. But with that in mind, how many therefore, how many people, how many think that they're above the master, how many, how many churches now just don't do that? They won't do it. How, like We've all been at churches where they just won't go out and preach the gospel. They'll go out and give the gospel written down to people there, I mean, I, I was the last church I was at before before finally we had this church here was a guy saying, "Well, you know, we, we're giving them the words of eternal life." But how many people got saved by reading the Bible? None. The, the, the Bible's clear about that. Okay, no one's getting saved reading the Bible. Now look, we have on our tracks, we have a summary, yeah? We have a summary, but no one's just gonna read that and get saved. So we want, we want to preach, we want to encourage them. Look, we're trying to say to them, look at this video. We're trying to get a verse out, trying to preach something to them. And yeah, great, we've got a summary. Sometimes that summary can be great. It can be something that maybe they can go away, look at. Maybe that's gonna help them when they eventually, hopefully get it preached to them in the future. But no one is gonna take that track, read it and go, well, of course, and get saved because the Bible's clear. The Bible's clear they have to have it preached. They have to have it preached by someone that's not written down. Okay, that's not, anyone know anyone that read a tract and got saved? It doesn't happen. Yet how many churches are, are around this nation, around the world, have somehow convinced themselves that they know better? That's basically what they're saying. Yeah, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus said it, because Jesus is the word, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Jesus said all these different things, yet we know better now. No, 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 because that's a bit old school, that. Yeah, all that knocking on doors, that's a bit weird. Let's just post something through the letterbox. Let's just stand in a high street going, come to church, come to church, come to church. Come. And, and, and how many people are getting saved like that? None. And in fact, I would add to that as well. How many people are getting saved in a church by the guy preaching the gospel in the sermons. I would say very few, right? Now, it sounds great, and it sounds amazing. You're just going to stand there and preach the gospel, maybe in every sermon, because how many churches do that? I'm going to preach the gospel every time we have someone new. Let's preach the gospel. Preach it, preach it. Everyone sitting here going, oh, there's the gospel again. I've heard it how many times this week, because I've been out soul winning, hopefully, this week as well. But hey-ho, you know, hopefully that's going to get some saved. But how often does it really get them saved? Now I've heard, you know, there's maybe some churches where they used to walk the aisle afterwards and give them. But apparently these guys would sometimes walk the aisle more than once as well. And they'd be coming down to the altar. I don't even know why they got an altar in the New Testament. Church would then still come down the, the aisle to, to the altar and then they'd do it the next year and the next year. And uh, look, it's madness, isn't it? Because really, 
most people need someone sitting down and preach the gospel to them, don't they? Now, don't get me wrong, yeah? Sometimes, you know, you see things like Pentecost and things like that, where the, you just see a spirit-filled preacher preach the gospel to all these unsaved people. But the vast majority of our church is going to be saved people, isn't it? Okay, this isn't, if we had like some right, come here, we're in a receptive place, come here, come in, just bringing people in to preach the gospel, that might be worthwhile, right? But... We're preaching to edify the saints here and when people come in and they get a one-on-one -on -one with someone who knows how to preach the gospel in general, if they come into this church seeking the Lord, we're pretty shocked when they go out and they're not saved, yeah? Okay, but you know what? I've had people come in here and I have, you know, before and, um, you know, I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world. I've thought, well, I'll preach a little bit of the gospel here. There's a few people here that look like, you know, they're new coming in at the old church before, you know, coming to South End High Street or wherever else it is. Preach the gospel to them. And then after it's gone up to them, so, um, you know, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Well, what do you think you've got to do? Be good? So I've literally just been preaching Romans chapter 4. We've just had our Romans, Romans chapter 3. I remember there was, there was someone after, I'd literally just gone through, I think it was Romans chapter 3. You know, that after the sermon was about the gospel, made it clear as day afterwards, be good. So like, where were you for the last hour? Because you, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be tough because they're going to know what to say, but they're really going to believe it. They even know what to say. Because there's something different, isn't there, when someone's directly talking to you and preaching to you as an individual, right? But point B, back to this point here, is how many people, though, how many so-called Christians think they know better? How about the easier-to-read version? He said, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Yet how many so-called churches go, well, yeah... But are they really going to understand all those these, you know, these eyes and thous? Better give them an easier to read version. That will get them saved. How many of them are getting saved? How many people do you know saved walking around with an NIV? How many doors do you knock on? They've got like a, a false, false Bible version, yet they're saved. Very, very few, right? If any at all. In fact, sometimes you talk to people who, who are kind of like they want to get saved. And then, they, and then you go to them, do you have a Bible? And they go upstairs and bring down a King James. Amen. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so few, isn't it? So few, and, and you do get them now and again, but it's pretty rare, isn't it? And how about, how about, here's another one, people do. Okay, so Jesus Christ is very clear, isn't he? Jesus Christ showed us how to do it. Yeah, how many people think spending hours, days, weeks, months, years debating evolution is somehow the way forward to getting people saved? So many out there do that, don't they? And there are big name people on YouTube and they're just debating this stuff. Weekly. And look, don't get me wrong, some of that stuff, people who maybe have more of a mind for that, who have an interest in that, cool, if you're interested, it's never really been a big interest in mine. If that really is you and you like that sort of kind of science angle and everything else and the science truths of the Bible, great, yeah? Nothing wrong with people preaching that, nothing wrong with people explaining that. But I do kind of get a bit weary of watching people spending literally like years of their ministry just debating with God-hating atheists. It's like, come on, just go. how about if you put that time into going and knocking doors? Can you imagine how many people they would probably be getting saved? Yeah, if they put that time into going out and just preaching the gospel, how many people would they be getting saved? Now look, a little bit here and there, you know, can be interesting. It can be quite amusing watching some silly atheists getting whooped in a debate, but for the rest of it, like, how many hours do you need to put into that? Maybe grab one atheist, give him a whooping, you know, show that to everyone and spend the rest of your time preaching the gospel, maybe. 
But again, because really they're going away, because where, where did it say to do that? Really, the Bible's very clear, is it? Go out and preach the gospel. That's what we need to do. But so many people think that they're above the master, that even though Jesus Christ wasn't debating evolution with everyone or debating science and trying to prove the word. No, he just went out and he preached the word, didn't he? He preached the word and, and it's up to people if they want to hear the word of God. The Bible said back where you were in Matthew 10 and verse 24, Jesus Christ said, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Jesus showed us how to do it and he told us how to do it. Didn't he go into all the world and preach, preach the gospel unto every creature. And that's why we will always do that from this church, won't we? It doesn't matter how many people try and tell us they got a better way. They got a better. No, no, the disciple is not above his master. Okay, we don't know better, do we? The Lord Jesus Christ knew how to do it and he told us how to do it. He said in verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, but the servant is his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call him of his household? So what do they call you nowadays? Some will call you literally the devil or something else. What, what else do we hear nowadays? Hate preacher? Yeah, you hate preacher, you cult, cult members. Oh, we're such cult members. Oh, do you know what? Because we believe the word of God. You horrible cult member. You, I, I mean, soon I, I suppose I'll be getting called a cult leader at some point because I preach the word of God. What, what, what else do we get? We get Bible bashers. How about that one? Bible bashers. You hear that one when you're out soul winning? I bet most people heard that one at some point or other if you've done much soul winning. But should we be surprised? Shouldn't be surprised, should we? Shouldn't be surprised at all. It kind of does sometimes surprise you, doesn't it? But we shouldn't, because they were calling Jesus Christ the same sort of stuff, weren't they? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. So, now, some might look and probably do look at this verse alone and think maybe it's talking about in the future in heaven, when everything is revealed. Yeah, and, and I, I hope there probably will be a day when we'll find out some interesting stuff that's been going on and some of the things in the shadows. I'd like to look at, you know, the kind of history reel when I'm up in heaven and, and I knew, I knew that that person was wicked or something else, you know. I knew that government leader was up to all sorts. Hopefully we don't have to see too much imagery of it. It'll just be a kind of quick report and a sen done sensitively, you know. But I, I, I don't know, because look at verse 27. It says, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Well, he's revealed it all in his word, really. I think that's what it's talking about here. He's made it known in the word of God. So many truths, because it said, Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that should not be revealed and hid that should not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. What does he what are we told? Well, what we're told is in the Word of God, isn't it? It's the Word of God. And that's what reveals it. So, for example, truths like Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, where it reads, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Okay, that's something that is hid to the world, isn't it? But something that is just clear as day in the Word of God. Clear as day in the Word of God. Uh, and that's something that we're told. You could say maybe in darkness that we're told to speak in light. Basically, we're told it. It's only people that read the word of God, really, that have the Holy Spirit that can even, uh, it seems, understand that. Because I've been under what probably a false 
prophet pastors that just don't seem to understand that verse at all. It's so clear, so clear as day. Truths like Matthew verse 20 and verse, uh, sorry, chapter 20 and verse 25, which reads, but Jesus called them unto him and said, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. That verse is basically saying that the leaders of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. It doesn't matter how often you wrap it up with lovely words like de democracy, like all these, you know, whatever other, other so-called, you know, government systems we've had over time, you know, socialist leaders and all this sort of stuff. The truth is, the prince of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, okay? They exercise dominion. However much you want to try and claim that, that, that they're free people, it, it never really is the case. But, but what does it also say in that verse? And they that are great exercise authority upon them. That's those that are rich, the wealthy. It's always been the case. That the, the princes exercise dominion over the Gentiles, over the nations, but it's those that are wealthy that really have the authority. Okay, and, and that's again another truth of life that we as Christians know, we as Bible believers, we as bi people that study and read the Bible know these truths, but again, that's something that seems to be hid to the rest of the world, isn't it? That's something that's covered that, that we can easily reveal. Truths like Romans 1.28, which said, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, again, we've gone through different, you know, different sort of periods of time and times where people, that's pretty obvious to most of the world, and there have been probably times where they've tried to cover this and act like it's not. Usually at the end of kind of big civilizations, there's been some sort of sodomite, sort of just massive, whatever you call it, expansion or everything else, where it's so out in the open. But the Bible's clear, isn't it? Okay, this is hidden to most, isn't it? In our nation right now, in, in most of the Western world, given over to a reprobate mind? What are you talking about? These are just, these are like lovely sort of babysitting material, aren't they? I mean, these are the sorts of people you want your kids hanging out with because they're just so funny. You know, they've just got such a good sense of humour with all their filthy innuendo. I mean, what could be better company? That's how our world sees it. But... What does the Bible say? The Bible says that they're given over to a reprobate mind, being filled with all unrighteousness, etc. I mean, again, that, that's something that seems to be hid, that's something that, that's not revealed right now or anymore. But especially in this context where we are, truths like Matthew 7 and from verse 22, which reads, and again, you don't have to turn to these, many of you know these verses, which reads, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's the work salvationist, isn't it? The work salvationist. And again, most of the world don't understand that point, do they? Most of the world don't know that truth. But he's revealed it all to us. He's made it known, hasn't he? The Bible reveals, the Bible is all truth, isn't it? And, and everything we really need to know is in the Word of God. It's all there, isn't it? It's all there. You just have to read it and study it and you see it. He's made it known. Now, what are we then to do with those truths? Well, what did he say? Did he say, keep them to ourselves so as not to offend? Is that what the Bible says? Did he say, whisper them between us, just, you know, behind closed doors, have a little private Christian get-togethers where we whisper about the reprobate doctrine, but don't let anyone else know about it. 
whisper about work salvationists, but then just go, oh, yeah, there's probably many paths. Yeah, you know, well, good on you. Let's hope you get there in the end, you know. Well, look, verse 27. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. We speak it, we preach it, don't we? Do we speak it quietly? Do we preach it behind closed doors, off air? Yeah, better just keep all of this off air, guys. You know, maybe like private members only when we do it. No, we speak it door to door and in the highways and hedges, don't we? Go out and speak the gospel to people. We preach the gospel to people and we preach it upon the housetops. And in our case nowadays, it's social media, isn't it? We preach the truth. We preach the word of God. We preach the truth. And, and that's what we're told to do, aren't we? Now, what about persecution? What about the death threats? What about all that sort of stuff? Because that comes, doesn't it? Okay, look, we might not be getting so much of it yet here, but, but look, many people, many pastors you guys know of and listen to, they get daily death threats. Daily death threats, and some of them, you know, are pretty, well, you could say pretty genuine sounding death threats. It's not just, you know, ridiculous, kind of just weird perverts trying to sound tough. Some of them are, are sound pretty genuine, don't they? I remember Pastor Anderson used to get a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of like so-called Mossad people and all sorts trying to, trying to tell him that they're, you know, they're going to come and do this to his family and this and that for daring to preach what the Bible says about Jews which say they are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Well, the Bible says in verse 28, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, we shouldn't fear them, but we should still be wise, shouldn't we? Just before we, we kind of go into that verse, okay, we should still be wise. Verse 23, let's not forget verse 23, which did say, but when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another, for verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel to the Son of Man become. So there is obviously a point, there comes a point in a nation, in a city, in an area, where we are encouraged to flee. Now, of course, there is ultimately that point when the abomination of desolation is set up, okay, and there are going to be places that we need to flee from. But there is an argument as well that there, there comes a point in certain nations where, look, you're just going to get literally arrested and maybe worse. You're not, right, you just got to, it doesn't matter, preach upon the house stops. Look, I would say once it gets that point in the nation, that's a testimony against that nation. Move on, yeah? There is a point. Now, I don't know exactly when that point is. I would say that point isn't probably when people are kind of, at this point, I would say in our nation, I don't think, how I believe, I don't think that so-called freedom of religion has really been tested yet. And I'll be interested how, and maybe we're going to be the ones to test that. I'm not sure. I don't know where that point is right now. Because there's, there is meant to be, but then there's hate speech laws, yeah? And where that crossover is, I don't know. We're probably going to find out soon, okay? But for me, in the meantime, we preach it loud and clear, right? Now, if it got to the point in this nation where they were, like, cutting off our heads for preaching the Word of God, I wouldn't say, okay, it doesn't, you know, I'd say at that point, this nation's done, yeah? It's done. And, and we flee and we go somewhere else, and then we preach the Word of God from the housetops there, yeah? And we but we don't just go, right, go into hiding, go, look, you, you, you go somewhere else, right? If you can't preach the word of God, you can't preach the gospel, why are you in that nation? 
Now, it's not always easy for some. I'm not, oh, well, okay, yeah, fine, just, you know, pack your bags and get on the next train out of there. And I know it's not always necessarily easy, but that ultimately has to be your goal and your plan. And I think God's going to bless you for that and find a way for you to go somewhere else to preach the gospel, because that's what we're called to do, aren't we? Oh, well, I better just hide out, you know, and, and you know, just kind of hide out and, and sing quiet hymns with the kids in case the neighbours grasp me up. And, and you know and never do anything else for god but you know as long as we survive well that's no he said flee didn't he flee go somewhere else where they don't persecute you and live for god yeah because that, that's how i see it anyway okay but here it says fear not them but we still don't have to fear them now we need to be why are we fleeing ultimately why are we fleeing so we can still serve god yeah okay we, now, look, I'm not trying to be all tough here. I don't fear, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to be sensible. Look, a lot of us are going to have fear at times, but we shouldn't, should we? Okay, the Bible says here, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who's that God? Okay, that's not a threat about hell, by the way. Okay, it's just emphasizing the difference between the power of these wicked God haters and God Himself. Yeah, John 10 28 obviously says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You have eternal life, you shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Okay, they can't destroy our soul, can they? We're saved, right? But God will be destroying both their soul and bodies in hell for eternity. Okay, that's the difference, isn't it? So we're told not to fear them, but we should have a healthy fear for God, which should then help us to serve him, which keeps us in his protection, because that's what we see in the following verses, really. If you look from verse 29 now, where it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now, this chapter, if you think about it, has many verses ripped out by false, false prophet work salvationists. How many times have you been on the doors and heard like a badly quoted verse from this chapter? Yeah, probably a few of you have. I have. I've heard quite a few. Well, what's the context here? Well, let's just have a look quickly about this when we see the context. So a farthing is a quarter of a penny, by the way. A penny in the Bible being a day's wage for a labourer, right? So sparrows are cheap. That's what it's basically saying. Today, that's about £25 odd for two of them, OK? So probably twelve fifty a sparrow. I don't know. You'd probably catch one. I don't know. Would that be easy to catch? How would you catch a sparrow? I don't know, you know, if there's some sort of snare and trap. I don't know. Maybe if not, it might be easier to pay $12.50 for a spare, okay? Point is that they're cheap, but God still looks after them, yeah? Okay, God looks after them, which is an interesting truth here that God is with them, yeah? And, and I suppose you could say that without God, nothing would last another minute in this world, would it? Okay, God upholds everything, God upholds life. But God has numbered every one of our hairs. And here's an interesting fact for you. Apparently, that's over 100,000 hairs, yeah? Apparently we have over 100,000 hairs. So point being is that he knows us intricately, okay? God knows you intricately. The Holy Ghost dwells within you. He cares about you, yeah? He does really care about you. And sometimes some people can find that truth hard when they're going through hard times in life. Does God really... No, God does care about you. He didn't promise you that you would never go through hard times in life, but he does care about you. He loves you. We don't have to fear because we are of more value... The point being of more value than many sparrows okay and 
you know, that's probably not a popular, popular verse for the animal lovers out there, but yes, we are of more value than many sparrows. And have you ever noticed with animal lovers, it seems to just go by the size of the animal, doesn't it? Because most animal lovers don't really have a problem with probably rats getting killed, do they? Most animal lovers, most of those, I would never hurt an animal, would probably happily, if they had an infestation of rats, start putting down all sorts of filthy poison where they internally hemorrhage inside themselves when they eat it. And, and by the way, we once had a problem at, a, at an old house many years ago, and you could hear them dying when they ate this stuff, squealing, dying in the walls. You hear a thud, I mean, it was disgusting. The flies, the smell when they're decomposing under the floorboards is disgusting, yeah, <laughs> okay. And most people are pretty happy about that, aren't they? Most people would go, oh, just let live and let live. They're just one of God's creations. We should just let the rats have free reign in the home. But then when, you, when the animals start to get bigger and a little bit friendlier, then apparently we're all the same. No, we're not the same as rats, but dogs. I mean, dogs, we're all the same, aren't we? Yeah? And we'd never harm a dog, but you would harm a rat. What's the difference? Uh, intelligence? Oh, it, oh, okay, because it comes down to intelligence. Okay, well, what about a cute, unintelligent animal? What animals do they say are quite stupid? I don't think there's some big animals they claim are quite stupid, don't they? How about an ostrich? Would it be all right to just start giving ostriches, you know, nasty old rat poison and things like that because they're getting in the way of it? No, everyone would be like, oh, you can't do that. Look at this, because it's the size of it. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? The size or the cuteness or the cuddliness. It's a nonsense. Yeah, it's a nonsense. And it, it's not based on any sort of scientific facts or anything else. And ultimately, they don't have a soul, do they? Anyway, back to this. So, okay, we are of more value than many, many spares. Now, with that in mind, talking about value, yeah, about not fearing those that hate us preaching the truth, okay? Because that's what we're talking about here, not fearing those that hate us preaching the truth. Whosoever therefore, look at the therefore here in verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Okay, the therefore, look at verse 31. Fear ye not therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Then it says, Whoever there, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. What is confessing him before men? Is it having a Jesus badge on your car? Yeah, or a stupid fish on your car, yeah? That fish really winds me up. In fact, I think that fish winds me up more than the morons that have the Darwin weird fish with legs thing. That just shows they're an idiot. Whereas the so-called Christian that has a fish in a car is showing that they clearly haven't read the Bible about graven images and the rest of it, right? Because it's just bizarre, isn't it? Anyway, okay, so how about telling everyone you're a Christian? Is that what it's about? No, it's preaching the gospel, isn't it? And by the way, no, it's not about salvation because, again, all these verses, you know, are misused many times by works of salvation. It's preaching the gospel, confessing him before men. It's confessing Jesus Christ, not just saying his name, it's confessing him, isn't it? That's what it's talking about here. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. That's why you're of such value, okay? You are of value if you're confessing him before men because that's how people get saved. Okay, that's the only way people get saved is by people preaching the gospel. So, when you do that, you have the Lord Jesus Christ then interceding for you, and, and no, not for salvation. It's not talking about salvation. Okay, the context is protecting you from the haters, isn't it? 
That's what the context is here. It's fearing not because whosoever therefore, yeah, being someone of much value, being someone who goes forth and confesses him before men, preach the gospel, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Okay. That's where we get the protection, isn't it? That's where we're able to, to, to that's why we're able to go out and preach the gospel. Can you imagine, yeah? Just, just imagine you had no protection from the Lord, yeah? Just imagine that you, were, you went out this afternoon, you went out Tuesday night, you went out Sunday just gone, Saturday, and you went out and preached the gospel, and there was just no spiritual protection at all. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how bad it would be? What, you, what do you think the devil would be doing? Every nutter, every psycho in the area would be out there taking shots at you. It, it would be carnage. You wouldn't last a minute. Seriously, I, I believe you would not last five minutes preaching the gospel if you didn't have the Lord's protection. It, it would be absolutely horrendous. I mean, the amount of God-haters out there that somehow we generally get away with not getting too badly hurt. I mean, Brother John managed to get his fingers nearly bitten off, but... You, that's quite rare, isn't it? Okay, uh, that was a dog in case anyone's wondering what on earth. Someone was got his fingers. What's, what's going on out there? Okay, but we usually get away with that. But you know what? It's almost, it's like they're out there, but it's almost like there's a leash on them, isn't there? It's like there's something stopping them going into full physical attacks and everything else. It'd be carnage. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my father which is in heaven. Okay, is that just pretending that you're not saved? I believe it's just not preaching the gospel. I think that's denying the Lord, not preaching the gospel. Uh, let's look at it this way. Say you knew the cure for some horrible disease. Okay, say it was something, I don't want to, because, you know, let's not go into kind of specific disease, but just say it was something that was a big thing in the world. You, you had the cure for it and you didn't share it. You didn't tell anyone about it. You're, you're denying it, really, aren't you? You'd be denying it. And, and look, we have, we have better than that, don't we? We have the words of eternal life. If you're saved, really, you know how you're saved, yeah? Because if you don't know how you're saved, then, okay, you, you're probably not saved, right? Okay, you have the words of eternal life. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be the best at preaching the gospel and know straight away which verse to go to, but it doesn't take long. It shouldn't take that long. You, if you're saved and you know why you're saved and you have a King James Bible, shame on you if you're not showing other people. Shame on you if you're not at least a part of showing other people and trying to learn how to be able to show other people because it's the only way people get saved, unless you don't believe that. Do you not believe that... Do, do you believe that people can get saved any other way? No, no one here believes that, I'm sure. Because the Bible's so clear, isn't it? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're told to go out and preach the gospel. We're told clearly that we're ambassadors for Christ. You know, and, and the rest of it, that that's how people get saved. So we're given the ministry of reconciliation. So therefore, how dare we not, not show people? Because ultimately we're denying him, aren't we? We're denying the Lord. We're denying the Saviour when we're not going out and preaching the gospel. So what's the line though with that? Once a week, once a month just at work, amongst friends, once a year. I don't really know. I don't really know what it is. Okay, what is the line? I don't know. But the backslidden Christian isn't an attractive prospect, is he? Anyone look at the backslidden Christian that's doing nothing for God, that's just giving up on the things of God and everything else and go, yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. Because when you look at that, 
Well, it looks to me like they're not getting much protection. A lot of the time, they're just at the hands of the devil, aren't they? They're just at the mercy of the devil. In, they end up in all... They just end up usually in a worse state than they were before they kind of came to Christ, before they started trying to live for the Lord and everything else. And, and it's a bad place to be, isn't it? And we don't want to be there. And we don't want the Lord Jesus Christ denying us before the Father. Ultimately, for me, that just... For me, says that you're just not going to get that protection. You're not going to have the Lord in your life and helping you and protecting you because as a Christian, you have a, you have a target on you, don't you? You have a target on you. We don't have to fear because we have the Father protecting us. That's the point, isn't it? Because ye are, ye are of more value. He said in verse 34, if we continue here. Uh, yeah, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. So... This whole, the, the whole point here, if you think about this chapter, he's sending the disciples out to preach the gospel. And, you know, you could say up until this point, maybe they've had a bit of a good time of it. He's just been telling them, you're going to, you know, you're worthy of your reward. You know, pe people are going to be giving you this and giving you that. Take the shoes, take the coats, you know, take whatever you're given. Like, that probably sounds like it's going to be pretty receptive at, at that point. But then he's saying to them, look, it's not going to be like that. It's always going to be like that, yeah? And, and this could be pretty shocking, couldn't it? He's saying to them, look, it's going to be rough. You're going to be, you're going to be getting it. You're going to be getting persecuted. They'll be calling me Beelzebub. What are they going to do to you? He's saying to them, you're going to have to be fleeing out of cities and everything else. They're probably thinking, whoa, wait a second. Well, he makes it even clearer now from verse 34, where he says, but, but before that, he's just said, but look, look, he said, you're, you're of value, though. So even though you're going to be getting persecuted, don't fear. Look, they could kill you, okay? I'm not saying, right, well, you don't worry, you've got ultimate protection if you're serving the Lord. No, they might kill you, but that's all they can do, ultimately, kill, you, kill your body. And look, we have eternal life, don't we? But he th then carries on and says, look, think not that I've come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, remember that the famous peace on earth was between God and man, not between man and man, Okay. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. That's the truth, isn't it? Well, that, that's, that's a very real truth for people sitting here right now, for, for, the, for the many people in our church, for the many people in real churches around the world. That's the truth, isn't it? And, and it's not a truth that you kind of expect when you first get saved, is it? And look, I hope, look no one here would change that. I prefer to have a life of my whole family hating me and, and spend eternity with the Lord in heaven than to go to hell for eternity. But kind of, it, you don't really get this point, do you? Maybe when you first serve, you're thinking, well, maybe that's just for like, you know, the re really like, really. Who was it once? Uh, I think we, we once knew a lady when we got saved. We're trying to, trying to badly preached the gospel me and my wife and she was saying to my wife something along the lines she was like, I think one of the kids um, friends from school's mum and she said yeah, but are you heavily involved in the church because some people are heavily involved and I I think like in your mind is well maybe those are heavily involved you know get that sort of thing well if you're if you're trying to be a disciple if you're serving the Lord you're going to get persecution aren't you and and sadly you're going to get that from family family members and and that can be hard can't it that yeah, can be really hard, and we've talked about that quite a bit recently. Um, 
and it is and it is a truth that we just have to accept we have to deal with we don't want to force that ourselves we don't want to be the cause of that we want the cause of that to be the lord jesus christ the cause of that to be the things of god because he goes on to say he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me okay so again it's not about salvation okay jesus is exhorting them and the many future disciples to come such as us to get our priorities right okay we need to get our priorities straight if you're forsaking the things of god to please your family then you're not worthy okay then then that's a shame unto you isn't it if you're forsaking the things of god how many christians will skip church for the family party well they said that's the only day they can see me yeah but it's not good enough because god said not to forsake the the assembling of ourselves together as a man of son is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching and and we it's such a clear command of the bible isn't it and, and we do see the day approaching yeah and it should be so much the more yet how often how often do christians find excuses to skip church to skip coming to the house of god and, oh well yeah well i believe that you know that, that I can worship God in my own way. I can, what they mean is I don't want to like, you know, have to, have to, have to come away from the family dues. I don't want to have to skip that time when that's when my mum or my dad or my adult kids, whatever it is, want to see me. Look, we shouldn't. We, sh we, we, we shouldn't love them more than the Lord, should we? How about compromising on the things of God? How many people do that for their family members? So many will do that, won't they? Maybe it's, maybe it's compromising on on uh, i don't know on uh, on the on the alcohol because well you know we we know we sh we don't even want to look at booze but you know the family members have said that they'll only see us you know while they're drinking and when we come around there they're going to be guzzling wine and beer and the rest of it in our faces in our kids faces well who do you love more because i think i think the commandments are pretty clear on that aren't they yeah well, and there, there are probably many other, many others that you can think of. How about denying the truths of the Bible? How many Christians will do that? When, it's, when they're around family and friends and they go, oh, oh but, but you don't believe this, do you? Oh, well, oh, that's just not that clear. Oh, well, it depends how you look at it. Oh, well, how about you just stand up for the Lord? Yeah, stand up for the Lord. Yep, the Bible says clearly that sodomy is an abomination. How about that? How many people will not say that? How about, yeah, the Bible says clearly that a woman's role is guiding the children and the house at home. How about that? Yep, that's what the Bible says. Yep, and, and, and I love the Lord and the Lord is right. How about that? But, but how many, how many, you know, how many saved people will try and just compromise a little bit, try and just, you know, well, but, but who do you love more? Who do you love more? Do you love the popularity with your family more than popularity with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's going to look down, and, and how sad for him to look down and be ashamed on us. We don't want that, do we? And look, we could all, all, everyone here could fall victim to this sort of thing at some point or another. He said in verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Again, talking about discipleship, not salvation. Again, how many, how many work salvation? Well, you hear, well, you've got to take up your cross, don't you? You've got to take up your cross. What does that even mean? What does that mean? So where's your criteria there for what is taking up your cross and following him? Well, we're going to have a look at that. Luke 14, 27. 
And uh, you don't have to turn. Turn to Luke 9. Well, I quote Luke 14.27. Jesus said it this way in Luke 14.27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay? Again, it's talking about discipleship. Are discipleship and salvation the same thing? No. Okay, we've made that clear. I've made that clear from this pulpit time and time again. But turn over to Luke 9, where you, you've turned over there, haven't you? And we, just to help you understand what this means to bear your cross. So look at Luke 9 and verse 23, where it says, And he said to them all, this is Luke 9, 23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this is a daily thing, not salvation. Salvation is a one-time ev event. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, You get born physically once, spiritually once. Okay, So this is denying the flesh and following after Christ. That's what taking up your cross is. It doesn't mean that you've got to get crucified literally. Okay, It's denying the flesh and following the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Forsaking the things of the world and following after Christ. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Now, you cannot serve God and mammon, can you? It's not a bit of both. If you want to serve the Lord, then you have to deny the flesh, okay? Now, look, we're going to get that wrong on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's talking about a daily thing, isn't it? It's a daily thing, basically denying the flesh and following after the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Okay, again, not talking about salvation. But wouldn't it be sad to have Jesus ashamed of you? Wouldn't that be a sad thing to have Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, ashamed of you because you're not worthy to be called a disciple? Go back to Matthew chapter 10. And oh, look, you know, all these verses are here. The whole point is to encourage us, isn't it? It's to encourage us to live for the Lord, to not be embarrassed of him, to not be ashamed of him, to not, to not kind of deny the things of the Lord, to appeal to this wicked, sinful and adulterous generation, which is what it is. And when you look at it like that, isn't it sad that, that, that so many, so many of us can at times in our lives sadly feel like that? And we have to battle the flesh with that. And no, that is wicked. As soon as you start feeling embarrassed about the things of God, as soon as you start feeling a little bit, oh, a bit embarrassed to be out soul winning, a bit embarrassed to be, to be, you know, to, to at least be connected with a church which preaches the whole counsel of God, a little bit ashamed. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not, you know, we're kind of NIFB, but, you know, it's not that. But no, no, no. We just believe the, the Bible, don't we? Yeah, we believe the word of God. And we're not ashamed about that, are we? We're not ashamed, no matter what they call us. No matter if they call us cults, no matter if they call us Bible bashes, no matter if they call us hate preachers or whatever else. No, we just preach the word of God and we're not ashamed of it, are we? Verse 39, back where you are, says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now, I believe that this also works on a mental level. If your heart is still in the world, you'll, you'll look at your life as a disciple, as a loss. If you're looking at your life as a Christian and, and thinking about the, lo the loss, what you've lost from your old life and things were better and, you know, the, the, the watermelon and the leeks and the garlic and all that nonsense, then really, you know, well, really you're not on board, are you? And ultimately it is a loss to you. 
okay? Because if you, if you willingly lose that life for his sake, I believe then you'll really appreciate what serving the Lord really is. Because when you, when you live a life serving, it's, it's something else, isn't it? For, for all you guys here, not just guys, girls, kids, and everyone else that just has their heart right and wanting to serve the Lord, what a difference life is, right? I mean, I look back and think, what did I do before I, I, you know, before I was serving the Lord properly? What, what on earth, like, what on earth, where, where were my priorities? I mean, what a waste of life. And what an empty life it really is, isn't it? And, and, and to not use a cliche, there was a God-shaped hole in it, yeah? And that God-shaped hole, it, you know, I know it's a bit of a silly cliche. Usually it's a load of people that are unsaved that try and say, yes, what you, you, that one's got a God-shaped hole. Sometimes like the Calvinists always use it, don't they? Well, that one's got a God-shaped hole in their life. But really, it, but there is some truth to that, isn't there? Because there is just this emptiness in your life when you're not serving the Lord. And, and now we have a church where we could just serve the Lord. We could just, just get, get here, get behind the, the preaching of the word of God, get behind the soul winning, get behind, you know, just the fellowship time with other just, just men and women of God. It's, it's something else, isn't it? And, and with it comes the troubles, the persecutions, the tribulation, but it's still a hell of a lot better if your heart's in it. But if your heart's not, yeah, for, for some maybe they, feel, they still feel like they've lost their life. Well, he said, he that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. That's something to remember when you're preaching the gospel, isn't it? It's not about you, okay? It's not, because it can be offensive sometimes, can't it? I mean, sometimes, you know, trying to talk to someone on their door and they're just slamming doors in your face. And sometimes not even slam. Sometimes we, we had one today, I think it was in Brother Gary's face. And it was just like, while he's talking, just his slow door shut. And you're like, <laughs> it's like, he's like, okay, then. <laughs> That's sometimes more offensive, isn't it? Like the door slam, you're like, oh, door slam. It's just when it's just slowly shut while you're in the middle of talking. It's pretty rude, isn't it? But it's not you, is it? it it's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, really. It's the word of God that they're, they're rejecting there. And when they do receive you, it's, it's the Lord that they're receiving, isn't it? He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Now, I believe that Jesus is saying that if someone receives a prophet because they're a prophet, that's what I think it means, in the name of. So if you're receiving a prophet because they're a prophet, not because you just had no idea and you were just like, oh yeah, well, you know, come around, someone I know. But if you're receiving them as a prophet, well, then they get rewarded as such. And look, I... I for me, I believe that someone could be, you know, maybe unsaved, they've received a prophet in the name of a prophet, and maybe they'll get, I don't think, obviously it's not a heavenly reward if they're unsaved, maybe they get some sort of reward in life they don't even know about, right? Maybe if you're saved and you're receiving a prophet in the name of a prophet because they're a prophet and you're doing good things to that person because, and that's everyone here who's preaching the gospel, by the way. Okay, if someone's receiving you because you're, you're a preacher of the gospel, they're doing good things, they're being generous, etc., I, I believe they'll receive rewards. Maybe that's in this life, maybe in the life to come. He says the same with a righteous man. So if they're receiving someone, for me, because they're saved, yeah? If you're just receiving someone, you're just being good to someone because they're saved, because you believe they're saved, because as far as you're concerned, they're saved, they're a believer, then again, I believe that that person will receive reward and then he says, and whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now, so even giving someone 
Now, whether that's a child or a disciple, I'm not sure. Maybe there were some children around that he was pointing to, or maybe he's just talking about his ch children because ultimately, you know, they're, you know, we are little ones, you know, we're, we're, we're well, we're, we're children of God, but also maybe in comparison to Christ, we are just little ones, aren't we? I don't know, one or the other, it doesn't really matter. If you're giving someone a cup of cold water because they're serving God, okay, in the name of a disciple, so because they're a disciple, because they're serving God, then again, you won't lose your reward. So, and this is just a, just a quick thing to finish off here. Uh, that kind of makes me think that when we go out and preach the gospel, yeah, and when people are kind to us, when people go, well, I'll listen anyway, or when people say, look, listen to a bit, receive us to some degree, and they don't get saved, all is not really lost. Maybe those people receive some sort of reward for that. Maybe, look, they've got some sort of blessing just from being, just from receiving you. Maybe just, maybe they've given you something to go on with. Maybe they've given you a drink in hot weather, but they didn't get saved, and you're like, oh, just, you know, but you're still doing good because it's not all doom and gloom. Sometimes you can just think, man, that person's, wow, I can't believe, you know, they didn't get saved. They're probably, that's the last time and everything else. Look, look, there are still some good things that come from just going out and being around people and preaching the gospel to people and from people being kind to us. That's what I believe. They, they won't lose their reward. There's still, there's still benefits that come basically from receiving us, from receiving preachers of the gospel, receiving righteous people, from doing good things to people of God. But it's also something that we all, we, it's not just someone, we should all benefit as well. We should all therefore be kind to each other, shouldn't we? We should be kind, we should bless each other, we should be generous to each other, we should do nice things for each other. We shouldn't be like, oh, you know, got to give brother so-and-so a lift somewhere or something you know we should just want to do that sort of stuff shouldn't we and we're going to get rewarded for that and be kind to each other and and but like I say I think that probably also also applies to the unsaved as well because ultimately he's sending them out to preach the gospel and saying look you're going to get persecuted but people are also going to get blessed because of you as well especially those that get saved but even those that don't that's what I think now just, just to finish off there, so Matthew chapter 10, like I said, I've heard many badly quoted verses of this by work salvationists. Was that, was that whole passage about how to get saved? No. Was that whole passage about, you know, how to, you know, about the disciples' salvation? No, not at all. The passage was about going out and preaching the gospel, but, but when he's talking to them specifically there and the things they do and everything else, obviously just, just a nice example when you go through the passage and see what it's about, people ripping verses out of context. It's wicked, really, isn't it? And, and do they really have any integrity when they do that? I mean, look, you don't have to preach the Bible long. You don't have to stand behind a pulpit long to understand that there's context yeah, in anything you do. You can't just stand there and just take a... And, and how, many, how many false prophets will take these verses? How many, how many times you knock on the door, someone will claim, because those of us who preach the gospel for... for a, a bit of time now will have spoken to people that claim to be pastors claim to be preachers claim to be leads of church who will then quote verses like this wicked isn't it got to be either a complete idiot or you're a complete liar aren't you to try and quote verses out of passages such as Matthew chapter 10 and try and apply those to salvation absolutely wicked isn't it but but great passage of scripture though and great passage for for just so many great truths in there as well aren't there uh, for us as believers so on that let's pray Father, thank you. Um, thank you for a great chapter of the Bible. Thank you for the many truths that we've learnt there. And thank you that, you know, that, that 
even though, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get persecuted, we're going to be hated by this world, by this world that really ultimately hates you, it, it, it's you really that, that, that they have the problem with, that we're going we're gonna to bear the brunt of that, Lord, and we, we thank you that, that through that, that you, you'll protect us, that you'll help us, that you'll guide us, and if, if so, if it you know, be, be your will or something happens where, where maybe, you know, we, we do suffer badly at the hands of these people. Well, look, our soul is, is, is safe for eternity because everyone here that put their faith on you is saved. And, and Lord, we, we thank you for that. We thank you for, for that precious gift of eternal life. We, we pray that you'll help us to go and preach that to others and not be afraid, not to be ashamed when we do that, Lord. And help us to all return here on Sunday uh, to, to, to hear more of your word and to go out and preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, for all of this, amen.